Even if you speak French fluently, there's something you might be getting wrong when you attempt to speak with the locals in France. We've heard before here on Travel with Rick Steves about the importance of greeting everyone with a friendly bonjour before you ask directions. But there's a whole other level of conversing that goes beyond the words that even a French-Canadian has to learn to fit in in France. Joining us now from Radio Canada Studios in Montreal are the husband-wife team behind the book The Bonjour Effect. Julie Barlow and Jean-Benoit Nadeau, bonjour. Thanks for having <laughs> Thank us. So the premise of your book is even if you were an A student here in the United States or Canada studying your perfect French, you go to France, you'll still have trouble communicating. How so? The thesis is it's not about the language, it's about the codes. People go to France, you know, we know a lot about France, we're very familiar with France, but we go thinking it's just sort of going to unfold itself to us and... Um, Often it doesn't. For instance, the book is called The Bonjour Effect because the first thing that travelers stumble on is their unawareness of the importance of saying bonjour. You have to say it all the time. We say that if you say bonjour and you think you're saying it way too much, you're probably just getting it (laughs) just right. When you take the bus, you have to say it. When you uh, buy a newspaper at the newsstand or a magazine, it's as if there's an inside and an outside, and you have to say bonjour so that you acknowledge that you enter their space. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's not really a word. It's a signal you send to tell them that you're ready to start communicating. And if you don't send yeah. a signal, they don't communicate. Ah. It actually won't t- even take your money. Oh, so it's like turn on the uh, receiver, prepare for transmission. Exactly. And if you're getting on a bus, it means you're entering somebody's territory. Bonjour. I'm here. You have yeah. to say bonjour if you expect civility and good treatment. Oh, right. If you're in a store and you want something from, you want to be served, the person behind the counter will not do it until you say bonjour and you've begun the, the interaction. What if it's after dark or you're doing something at, at midnight? Oh, then you say bonsoir. Bonsoir. Um, Same thing. Yes. But bon oui means goodbye, though. You don't say bon yeah, oui. Yeah, that means good night. Yes. Good night, yeah. It's, it's, but but it's you wouldn't say Conversation's that over when you say conversation's bon Conversation's yes, over. <laughs> and if you know you're going to see them again, or likely, you say au revoir, which means next time I see you, I'll say you bonjour again. The French just seem to love this stuff, all the little fine points of their language, the, the nuances. Uh, you're both from Quebec. You speak French. Is, is it different, uh, the, the approach to the language between a French-Canadian and, and people in France? Yeah, the culture of language, the language is the same. The culture is different. Quebecers will be a bit less elitist. By and large, we're North Americans. So mm-hmm. we do not have the custom of saying bonjour all the time. Right. So um, the thing the French do, which is rattles me, even though I'm a French-speaking North American, as much, of course, as it would rattle anybody, who's, even if you don't speak French, is they correct all the time. It's very, very, this is another one of those codes that, that foreigners don't get. The French are very comfortable correcting people. They grow up being corrected constantly in school. They, as a culture, are very afraid of blame. So they reach out, they correct. It's like acceptable public behavior for a stranger to correct your French. Because we always say uh, compliment in public and correct in private or something like that. Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, you, you've hit the nail on, on the head. It's an issue of, and this is another thing we explain in the book, it's an issue of what's private and what's public. And many things for the French that we assume Mm -hmm. are things that you only do in private, like argue with your spouse at a dinner table in front of everybody else. These things are not private things for the French. Correcting is not private. You do see couples disagreeing publicly, which makes me kind of cringe because couples in America can be at war, but when they're with their friends, it seems like everything's cool. Exactly. This is a really big cultural difference. Also, there are topics that you can't talk about 
that would be easy conversation starters in North America, like, what do you do for your living? Mm-hmm. Or even, what's your name? And those things for the French are strictly private. You do not ask a stranger what they do for a living. But you've got all sorts of liberty to have more sexual in- innuendo in your discussion, which is kind oh, yeah. of counterintuitive. They, 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 exactly. That's and the they, ultimate it's, it's in, in discretion, yeah. They will not talk this about their own sex life, but uh, a sexual, as you said, a sexual in- innuendo, a joke, a remark... Um, that is fine and it's not perceived as sexist or a signal. People will laugh openly about it. And, so uh, even a man could make a sexual joke in front of a woman in a professional area or in a public area, which here would cause people to cringe and would not be considered acceptable. There, it would be a different sort of um, it's okay. standard. We were on a bus on a rainy evening and people were, the bus driver was trying to get people to cram towards the back, you know, to make more room. And the bus driver actually said, you know, it's okay to touch each other as long as you don't have dirty thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'd hear that. I'd never hear that in a bus in America. I'd laugh if I did, but I would never And hear. everybody did laugh, and they started to move to the back. It sort of woke everybody up and got them out of their stupor. But that sort of stuff in France is fine. And is it equal between men and women, or is that just a, a, a privilege men have? No, no, no. It's definitely not. Uh, I've, I've, some of the, <laughs> the good ones came from women. No, no, no. They, they're, they're definitely not uh, It's pretty egalitarian. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's, it's interesting because on the relationship between men and women, they project this idea of um, being very macho and, and all that. But at the same time, historically, French women have always had a, a strong place in society and conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really, really ingrained in them. But there is this element of uh, la seduction. There, there's sort of a dance. Yeah. There's flirting going on. Even though people are angling to go to bed with each other, there's still that sort of flirtatiousness. Oh, women do not expect you to regard them as transparent. They really want you to see them. And if you're complimenting them on their appearance and what they wear huh. or the way they arrange their hair is... It's all fair. ...is, is actually, actually good small talk. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Julie Barlow and Jean-Benoit Nadeau, and their new book is The Bonjour Effect. In your book, you talk that there's an approach to small talk. For us, small talk is polite, but they kind of get right beyond small talk. Quickly. And they rapidly want you to uh, produce something that will impress them or be so interesting. Get, in, get to the meat of things. Let's make a conversation yes. that is of, of meaningfulness. It's the reason why bonjour is actually not a good translation of hi, for example, because once you said bonjour to a person, the next time you see that person in the same day, you don't say bonjour again. You have to say something else. Ah, you've started. The, you that to, was the end of the small talk, the bonjour. Now let's get right yeah, to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's exactly. a signal that, it, that it's over. Because you wrote in your book, they don't communicate, they converse. Is yes. that related exactly. to that? Exactly. And the point of conversation is never to express information. It's to converse and give out ideas and give your conversation partner something to respond to. And that can be an opinion or something provocative, like correcting somebody or contradicting somebody or stating something outrageous that they will respond oh, to. Yeah, it's, the, the, it, the rules are completely different in French. It just spins the conversational carousel. Yep. Exactly. And if you go, if you're invited, we were invited. We, we tell the story in the Bonjour Effect about this party we went to one evening. It was like, kind of like a salon. We were invited to come and speak to people about French language in an intimate setting. And we sat there being polite and nodding all night. And then as the evening wore on and we didn't feel it was really getting off the ground. And then I remembered that the idea when you are invited to such a thing to converse with the French is you have to give them something to work with. You have to say something, even if it's a little bit over the top. (sighs) So as they were chatting about things going on in Paris and there was an Art Deco show 
And so I sort of sat up and I said, you know, Art Deco has always seemed really fascist to me. <laughs> I'm saying this at a polite dinner table. Yeah. And they were so happy. Yes. And one of the ladies winked at me. <laughs> they said, finally. And the gentleman called me charmant. <laughs> and off we went. And the conversation was going, I mean, you really have to be daring and say something outrageous sometimes. It's like a bunch um, of and they kids. They love it. It's not it's exactly it's a game and that gave them something to play with. There's a bunch of kids in a court and there's no ball. And if you throw in something exactly. like that, there's a ball to play with now. And what another interesting thing is that they will say no all the time. No. Uh, it's something they say easily, very quickly. Contrary for example to the British who never say no. They always say uh, I I hear you. That, that's ah, when they don't I agree with you. Saying, yeah. the, the French will say no all the time. And it, it's not a refusal. It's actually a defensive position. So conversing a little bit with them just shows you that you don't judge them. And then they're very willing. And then they, they will be very helpful and even not let you go. But no is like a bargaining position. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a refusal. And that's very tough for foreigners to get. And, and even we had trouble with that when we returned to France in 2013 to write the book. We got caught up all the time. We we just we 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 just couldn't get over the no until mm. you know we remembered that really it's just an invitation to make a counteroffer. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Julie Barlow and Jean Benoit Nedo, and their new book is The Bonjour Effect. Our phone number is eight seven seven three 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 seven four two five. Lynn's calling from Paris in France. Lynn, thanks for your call. Hello, and after listening to this, I have to buy the book, and I'm living here. <laughs> I've come across the nose before, and um, you'll ask somebody, do you speak English? And I say it in French, and they say very little. And then they speak the Queen's English so beautifully. And I finally said to a French friend, I, I don't understand. And they said, just like you did, they're beaten down in school so much and told that they're doing it wrong that they don't want to admit that they speak it so well. It doesn't come yep. naturally to say that. Huh, so you, you hit the nail on the head on that one. So, Lynn, you've been communicating in Paris. Uh, have you had any interesting uh, experience because of your struggles with the language? Well, I've had quite a number of embarrassing ones, but um, I went into a French cafe, and I wanted a cup of coffee, and I saw milk in the background that said UHT, and I didn't want anything that had been zapped by x-rays. So I said to them in my best French, je voudrais avoir du lait sans preservatif. And she, this is the first time somebody just couldn't contain themselves. She just started laughing in my face. I said, I would like milk without condoms. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you, you were asking for a prophylactic. <laughs> you gave the French something to talk about there. Uh, I don't think she ever forgot me. It's it's called faux friends. That's what I learned afterwards. And then mm-hmm. you're you're struggling. You're trying to use a word that you're trying. You don't know the word, so you pull out English. And these words, preservatif, is not the same thing. It's conservatif. And then mm-hmm. I would have been understood. But I I went for that faux friend and preservative. I knew what it meant in English. Doesn't mean the same thing in French. That's a good lesson. You'll always remember how to say condoms now. <laughs> Lynn, thanks for your call, and that's a great real-life example of how we can connect and have some fun and, and learn at the same time. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Arthur's on the phone from Bloomington, Indiana. Arthur, thanks for your call. Hi, John, and hi, Julie. I had this experience about um, I don't really speak French, and what I do when I visit Paris or, or even smaller places like uh, in, in Law Valley, I always start by 
uh, making a point of saying in French that I do not know how to speak French, and then kind of saying it apologetically and waiting for an acknowledgement from whoever I'm talking to, and then to code switching back to English right away. And usually I feel very um, appreciative that even though some of them uh, do not speak English very well, uh, they tried to converse back with me again, and it ended up always ended up with me saying we or no or and some sort of hand signal, and just to make sure that the conversation goes on. Are we saying that even uh, if you don't speak French, you ask, "Do you speak English?" And if they say no, you go with a little bit of French, and then it reverts to English because, regardless of what they say, they speak more English than you speak French. Yes, some sort of that combination. Yes. Does Does that make sense in your experience, Julie and, and John Benoit? I think it's yeah, a good well, style to ask. Parlez-vous anglais? Absolutely. But I would just say to our, our listener, he's he, he's lucky to be living or traveling in France right now. The first time we lived in France, the attitude towards English and towards Americans was not as favorable. And one of the big changes we noticed going back in 2013, after 13 years, was that the French are quite open to English, quite interested in English. It's an important language in the European Union, and they're quite keen on learning it. So the philosophy has changed, and the philosophy about us as Quebecers, with our quite strong Quebec accent, has also changed. We found the French more curious, more open-minded, very little anti-American sentiment in France right now, which was nice, and and that's probably helping. But indeed, it is a good idea to explain ahead, as long as you start with bonjour. (laughs) Yeah, um, Americans, we grew up thinking, uh, oh, the mean Parisians and the the anti-American sentiment in, in Paris and France, but that's quite dated now. When you think way back, where did that come from? Because it was there before. And then what happened? Why, why did it change? I think that it's quite old, uh, that feeling. Uh, it has a history of having varied in intensity with generations. But uh, at present, I would say that the main cause is that, well, it's two causes, really. I think the French are, are realizing now the consequence of the fact that France is not the center of its own world. You know, that the post-colonial thinking is, has, has really sunk in and they, they realize that they are part of a larger world, even mm. in French. And it's very important because their first contact with America is generally through Montreal or Quebec City. Mm. And so they, they have a completely, they've, they've reversed their, their worldview, in fact, in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, not just about Americans, but about their own position and their own civilization, their own culture, their, their own French culture. Well, in other words, Francophone. are they getting comfortable or real with the fact that they no longer are the cultural leaders of the world, even though they're proud oh, of their yeah, culture? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Very at ease to the extent that. that before we wrote The Bonjour Effect, we made a radio show in Paris at France Culture, which is sort of the summit of, uh, it's a bit like... The BBC. NB, right. and NPR, mm-hmm. the BBC. Right. And we got on the radio and gave a two-hour show about the French language to the French with our Quebecois accents and my additional English accent. Can you imagine? Uh, and 15 years ago, that never would yeah. have happened. And we said, I went uh, in and apologized yeah. a bit. I said, are you sure you, you, know, you feel comfortable with that? And they loved the accents. Oh. And they were all for it. So things have really changed. Well, I remember a time when a business that wanted to use an international or an American word in their name would have a penalty or, or some sort of a fine or even not be allowed to do it because they were protecting against the influx of American words into their language. Have they lightened up on that also? Can you say the internet or, or whatever? Can you call your company a, an English catchphrase now without any flack from the government? 
They actually have had uh, laws to protect French and France for 20 years. Mm -hmm. These laws are actually imitating Quebec laws. But the French never took them seriously. Mm. Uh, neither in the population or, or in the application of what the authorities could do. They're so Anglophile right now in France, most notably in Paris, that it's, it's actually close to being ridiculous. Like it looks a bit like the cargo cult. It's as if, you know, these people in the uh, Pacific Islands that built bamboo antennas to call the Americans, <laughs> you know, for, for prosperity, you know. Uh -huh. So they use... English right now as a kind of Way to call out. as a little fetish of prosperity that they will shake and that money will come. It's very weird. <laughs> we found uh, it weird. What would be an so, example of that, Sean Benoit? Oh, uh, they have perfectly good French terms for whatever, and they will start using English terms just because it sounds more modern and more it. It wasn't just Paris. We were in a town in the in the Land in the south near the Spanish border, which produces has a big lumber industry. And their store was called All Wood. Mm. And we were stunned. We thought it was a Paris phenomenon. It was called All Wood. And we were, we were amazed. So but that's you see catchy English. now. During, during uh, catchy, yeah. I remember there was a time when American, you know, California would sell cars and, and sell fashion. And, and there were American-style jingles. And then during the Gulf Wars and during the Bush uh, eight years, they were actually recognizing that American jingles and American uh, culture in ads was the opposite. It was turning away business. And they, they would hire marketing people to comb all those American references out of their marketing. Now you're saying it's coming back into their marketing, into their culture. Oh, yeah. It is, but the European Union is also having a big effect, the economic union, because a lot of the um, publicity campaigns from the companies that are working in Europe are developed in English. Uh -huh. But there's still this feeling in, in France, isn't there, of rampant capitalism being pushed by America and a puritanical culture being pushed no. by America no, and linguistic so imperialism. Uh, None of that anymore, huh? Because that was a big thing before. The, the notion of puritanism, maybe. But mm -hmm. uh, right now, the anti-business sentiment, when it's expressed, is actually expressed against Europe ah. rather than against the United States. In and fact, it, Europe has... In segments of popu the population in France right now, Europe is replacing the United States. So that's the, the new scapegoat. Yeah. The yeah. New because France needs a scapegoat, yeah. There used to be this word called Anglo-Saxon, Anglo-Saxon. Uh -huh. It was very common the first time we lived in France, 1999. And it was just sort of a catch-all to wrap up the English-speaking thread. And it was, you know, it was pejorative. Uh -huh. And that word's disappeared. That's a remarkable change in just a decade or two. It is a remarkable change. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Julie Barlow and Jean-Benoit Nedot. Their book is called The Bonjour Effect, The Secret Codes of French Conversation Revealed. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Sarah's calling in from Portland in Oregon. Sarah, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Thanks so much for having me. And hi, Julie and Jean-Benoit. I have to say... Hello, Sarah. I've had your previous book, 60 Million Frenchmen Can't Be Wrong, on my shelf since college, where I was a French major. Um, mm. And so most of my French experiences came from when I studied abroad in college. And I love this notion of Americans being kind of disquieted by the French embracing provocation and argumentation in public. And I wanted mm -hmm. to share a particularly validating experience of mine that I had there at the end of my own sojourn abroad. Uh, it was mm -hmm. in Montpellier in the south of France, and I had been abroad for an entire semester, as you can imagine, and back then the weight limit was still 75 pounds for a luggage, not 50 pounds or 40 pounds. 
I had like three suitcases and was lugging them through the Paris Metro all the way out to Charles de Gaulle Airport. And I hadn't even purchased the right ticket because of the concentric circles of how far you can go on the train. So I was having all of these struggles, which frankly, I should have known better by that time, having been there for like five months. And it was very busy. It was rush hour. And I was trying to cram myself and all of my luggage on a very packed train going far outside of the city. And this Frenchman started yelling at me, kind of berating me for taking up so much space and knocking people about in the train. And I just kind of stared at him in French. I said, hey, buddy, you know, I have to get on the train, too. Everyone has to get on the train. And I have stuff. I've studied abroad for an entire semester in Montpellier. So just get out of my way and let me on. And he kind of stopped and his tone changed completely. And he was like, oh, Okay, and he kind of just like shuffled back, and I was able to get all of my stuff on the train. But it was a very, it was kind of a victorious experience for me because of that kind of parrying <laughs> you have with the yeah. friends. You're constantly negotiating and, and arguing with people to get what you need. You won his respect, and that's uh, what I guess Julie and Jean Benoit were mentioning, and that's a very good example, isn't it? You just stood up and you respectfully told him what, what your case was, and he goes, Oh, you got your act together. Talking really means something. Like, you don't get anything in France by staring at people. Hmm. Talking really means something, and they do respect that. Um, You did well. (laughs) So that's what you talk about in your book also. You know, like, you actually sort of allude to the fact that disagreeing is a good thing. Consensus is kind of boring. Let's let's address this problem exactly. and let's let's get to the bottom of it. Actually, it's even simpler than that. When you do not want to speak to a French person in any kind of situation, you simply do not talk to them. They're very at ease with you being next to them and not talking. <laughs> but if you want to talk to them, you better have something to say. Exactly. But as a foreigner, you have you have a, an extra leeway that they do not have between themselves. Because in France, they will never say that they don't know. They're afraid of ridicule. So it's one of the reasons why when you ask something and they don't know, they'll say no or they'll say it doesn't exist. But as a foreigner, you're allowed to say, I do not understand. I I, I do not know. And then they're very willing. You explain your problem. You say, excuse me, je je ne comprends pas. I do not know this. And if they have the time, they actually will, because they know you do not belong, they're perfectly willing to explain. Jean Benoit, if you're talking with somebody like this and they don't want to say, I don't know, can that mess you up if you're asking for simple directions? Yeah, it can really mess you up. <laughs> they don't it, say, it I don't really know. It can really mess you up. Yeah, they won't say, I don't know. And they'll probably, they may tell you something that's, that's well, yeah. Oh, it can, it can, civil servants have sent us to the, the wrong service just because they would not say they didn't know. And, and then, the, and the blamed only us way, for not asking. Yes, yeah, right. yes exactly. So <laughs> now we, now after a while, we knew. When they seem too certain, and it's, the answer came too quickly for something that right. was way too specific, yeah. we just keep talking with them. That, you got to learn and this. And then this they, is... they, realize, they realize that they're doing something silly, and then they ask us. It's a real a art. You know, you go out wearing boxing gloves every day <laughs> in Paris. Like, it's, really, it's quite an art. But once you get used to it, and you go out with the right frame of mind... It's fun. Um, it can be really fun. People aren't that sensitive. No, and that's what Americans got to realize is, you know, get over it. Okay, you had an in, a little altercation here. Get over it. You're communicating. I like that's the subtitle of your book, The Secret Codes of French Conversation Revealed. Hey, Sarah, thanks for your call. Thanks so much. Yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Julie Barlow and Jean-Benoit Nadeau. Their new book is The Bonjour Effect, Sharing the Secret Codes of French Conversation. Julie and Jean-Benoit, we're talking about communicating, and we travelers sometimes are a little bit reading into things, and it might put us on guard or put us off. 
there's this whole issue of smiling. Uh, my sense is <laughs> when you smile, they look at you like you're just the village idiot. What mm -hmm. about smiling? You are the village idiot when you smile. You're absolutely right. Because I smile. Like it just, it's just like that's what you're supposed to do. But I, I get yeah. the sense in France that's not going to earn you anything. <laughs> no. 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 They, they think you, I mean, the French tend to take a negative stance to many things. It's different than just saying no. They take a negative stance because it seems smarter to them. Cooler, if you will. Cooler. And when you smile and you're too agreeable, they think either you're stupid or you're trying to hide something. Ah. Yeah, they're so afraid of that. It's not a good approach. Not when you don't know people and aren't oh, laughing and having fun. A brief, engaging smile, but but the Colgate smile is 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 no. tricky. And being negative is almost it accomplishes the opposite. Being negative probably means you're more with it and you've got reason to have a strong opinion. That's what they think. And you got to remember, you know, 80 million people visit France every year, and in Paris. I don't know what percentage passed through Paris, but a big chunk of them. Parisians are faced with smiling tourists all year uh -huh. round. Yeah. And they just, you know, we lived there. We know. We lived near Montmartre. And it does kind of grind on you. It does kind of get on your nerves after a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you try to stroke the ego of a, of a French person, will they think you're just being insincere? Or is that a nice way to make them feel good about being in a conversation with you? Hmm. That's an interesting question. It's a good point. I... I, I uh, they, they love their country. They, 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 the French are, are in many ways the, the, the Americans of Europe in the sense that they're an old republic and they, they really have a strong sense of who they are. And, mm -hmm. and uh, if you compliment them uh, sincerely, they will feel it. Mm. Uh, but, but. but they're so down on their country exactly. right now that, <laughs> that uh, sometimes they have trouble even believing that they're doing anything right. We mm. had an interview with a fellow at the, at the Hôtel de Ville at the town hall in Paris. We, we were complimenting him on, his, on the, the food in the cafeterias. and in, Our kids were at school and the food was just great. And he was, he was very interested in talking about the food and how it was all purchased locally and it was all organic. And, the, and then at one point in the conversation, he said to us, but, but you can't believe anything works properly in France. <laughs> the thing is that the French are, are, are pessimistic because they're closet optimists. They, the surveys show that 80% of them are actually optimists personally about themselves. But when they think about society and reflect in public or talk in public, they will always express pessimism. And it's because optimism is something that is actually for your private garden. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that you reserve for people you know well and not anyone particularly because you might be regarded as uh, an imbecile uh, and if you're too optimistic. And, and they're really afraid of that. And that, that opposition between private and public, what's allowed in private, what's allowed in public is, is, is interesting because, for example, the French will never talk openly with a stranger about their family, their job, uh, money. Although when you know them, they talk about that all the time. Mm. But... The thing is that if you start striking a conversation with people and it goes very well, if they start talking about their family, if they start talking about their job or money, they're actually sending you a signal that they want their relationship, that you're building a relationship, ah. that you they want to go beyond uh, that's be interesting. Fascinating. Uh, that, Fascinating. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's codified. It's codified in certain ways. For example, humor. The French never do humor with people they don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, they will do wit, they'll do uh, esprit, they'll do uh, sarcasm, but they certainly will not turn the ridicule on them. Self-deprecating humor. So, no. It doesn't happen. No, it doesn't no. happen. <laughs> Only but, in private. But 
if you do it in private, it's a signal that the, if they do it with you, there's a signal that they want to be intimate. I have a sense that the um, determined, thoughtful American traveler going to France is going to make mistakes. They're going to they're going to mess up, but they need to be Absolutely. resilient. They need to be optimistic mm-hmm. and curious and respectful and not take things personally. And no. all in all, when they leave France, they'll find uh, the social potential and the fun of getting intimate with the culture is worth all the all the pitfalls and potholes and bumps in the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. Julie Barlow and Jean-Benoit Nadeau, thank you for sharing with us and, and writing The Bonjour Effect. It's going to help a lot of people enjoy a lot of culture in a beautiful country of France. Thanks so much. Thanks. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.